I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are in the belly of the beast, the left coast, la-la land. We have left the politicians. We have moved on over to show business. And yet even here, even in the heart of leftism, there are some people, including our guest, who have decided it was too much, who have decided to walk away. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. We are in sunny Hollywood, California. Senator, thank you for flying out here. And also thank you to our guest, a showbiz man, not someone usually in politics, Isaiah Washington. But Isaiah, (laughs) you have become very politically active here. Maybe not of your own desire, but because you have contradicted some of the leftist orthodoxies of Hollywood. And they don't take that very well. Yes, yes. I have been a contradiction in this town for 24 years. (laughs) I've accepted a lot of checks from a lot of people I did not like and a lot of people who did not like me for various reasons. And none of them had anything to do with politics. It had everything to do with microaggressions. You know, back in the 90s, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. And colorism. There were certain people like, you know, you may know of, heard of a guy, Eddie Murphy. I, Wesley Snipes, you may have heard of I, him. I've heard of those guys. Yeah, uh, I think so. Oh, my namesake, I, you probably know this, this guy named um, um, Denzel, Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. yes. And that uh, rings a bell. Um, guy was kind of popular, pretty popular. Time magazine named Arsenio Hall. Oh, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. You know, Don Sheetle, yeah, those guys. So, so I studied yeah. them yeah. back in 1988 yeah. before I became a Californian in New York in theater. I swore I would never do television because that's not cool. 
And then you became a big TV star. Oh, I did a commercial and I got a check in the mailbox and I was completely corrupted. That is what set me on study. What kind of actor can I be in this town that I know I don't want to be in? So I had to start to figure out the look as of my engineering background in the military. I took 10 years to say, well, what's missing? How can I fit in? Because they have these great names, these great businesses, and they have these Will Smiths. And I know they only pick one at a time for whatever reason. It's like a pecking order out here. Couldn't take it personally. So I had to take it in a business way to figure out how can I fit in? How can I catch up? I'm starting late in the game. So and what drew you to the world of acting? Did you always know it's what you wanted to do? or No, I had a midlife crisis <laughs> at 23, uh, shortly after the space shuttle blew up. Mm-hmm. I was working as in the private sector in Herndon, Virginia with an organization. And at the time, we, did, we had a fax. We didn't have internet. 1986, right? 85, 86. And I was very concerned, a lowly position, about O-rings. And at the time, I was like, you know, we need to take a look at the, the shelf life of these O-rings that are going out in the world. Now, I don't know if there was a connection, but I knew there was a problem with the O-rings mm-hmm. for the space shuttle. And it went up anyway. Right. And what I started become really politicized after, even I was in the military during the Reagan years, I started seeing things that I didn't want to see. Like, why are we putting Chris McAuliffe and these people up in the ship when there's some issues? And all I remember were a lot of people around me going, it's got to go up. It's got to go up because the president ratings are down. We need, we need a boost. Literally, where it went up and it blew up. Yeah. Heard a lot of people. We know the story. I think for me, I was clinically depressed mm-hmm. because no one, I didn't know what to do with the information I had. No one was really listening. But I think at the time when I look back on it, it's a good question. I think I was clinically depressed, but didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I left, walked away from my wife. I walked away from everything. Mm-hmm. I walked away from mm-hmm. my big screen television back in the 80s. You know, like a big old bowling ball, the yeah. big red, green, yeah. look ugly thing, right? Yeah. I had an ascot, my pipe. I walked away from my cars, everything. Ended up homeless. Wow. And ended up in Wendy's. Were you Broke. in Virginia? Here? In Her- I was in Gaithersburg now. Okay. Went there hungry. Crossed the street. Was sleeping on my lawn. Sold all my furniture. I think I just completely lost it. And I said, I'm going to pretend that I'm going to eat this Wendy's burger. That's when they were making a good Wendy's burger. When it was really big, thick, square meat. <laughs> Is that, where's the, uh, where's the beef? Where's the beef? The, where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> Sat there, smelled the food, pretended that I had eaten, and went back. I was no longer hungry. And at that point, I felt like if I can act like I've eaten, and I haven't eaten in three days, and I asked God, if you tell me what I'm supposed to do, I promise you, I will be the best at that thing of whatever it is. The next day, I was given an opportunity to audition for a play called Can Can. I wasn't a dancer. They wanted me to come and dance. Mm-hmm. I lied and said I could do a pirouette. I didn't know what a pirouette was then. <laughs> I said, can you do a PK turn? I didn't know what a PK turn was. So I looked at all the other guys that was doing these little turns and went out there and made a complete fool out of myself. So they had fun with me. And they said, okay, that's God awful. Can you do a cartwheel? So I did three cartwheels, did not get the job. But I got the attention of another musical director that put me in a play in a church. And that was my first play called Frankenbeans, where I played a gay character that was infected with HIV. Hmm. Full-blown AIDS. Wow. That was my first role. And from there, I got to Howard University. Vera Katz, who's writing a book now, who's behind many people from Debbie Allen, Alicia Rashad. A lot of people went to Howard University. She put me on, put me on in New York, City Kids. Original play, a uh, member for the City Kids Repertory Theater, dealing with mm-hmm. kids, the 
City at, at Risk Children, Malik Yoba, came out of that, and then did a commercial, got the money, did a little One Life to Live, next thing I know, I'm in L.A., didn't want to be, but I figured that if I find a role where I can play a thug with a heart, mm-hmm. if I can play a thug that looked like he's intelligent, like in Romeo Must Die, then I might be able to work more than everybody else. Hmm. So that is what I saw was missing. I saw these stereotypes of bad guys, Crips, Bloods, not really much. Mm. I said, I need to play a bad guy or a thug that has a little bit more intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Well, this is an aspect of Hollywood is there are always just boxes and you got to fit into this box. And, oh, it's only one or two guys that get to fit in that box at a time. Except for Sam Jackson. (laughs) He created his... Just he worked so much huh. that he just beat them down with his talent. That we became he just was worked so much. That was another way he just became Sam Jackson. But you've well, you've had a great career in Hollywood. I have, but in a in a certain sense, you don't fit into a box. No, I hate him. I I'm the kind of person that being a Texan. You try to put me in a box. And you're a native Houstonian. Native so you, Houstonian. So you and I grew up in the same town. Yeah. You still have family in Houston? They're all dying off. Uh, moved out, unfortunately. To, uh, my mom passed in two, 2001, mm. same year as Aaliyah, you know? So that was my transition where I don't have a reason to go back to Houston and go mm-hmm. to Dave and Buster's anymore. Yeah. Or, or wear my boots anymore. Or wear my, I still have my hats and all that, but I don't have a reason to go back to Houston anymore. But yeah, you know, I was at FFA. I, I rodeoed. Um, oh, wow. We did, uh, you know, uh, what we call uh, mule saddling was a big deal. You ever seen a mule cry? It's really sad. <laughs> Cry, they cry blood. <laughs> they cry blood, literally. It's like, damn, why am I treating this mule this way? He doesn't want to move. But that's the Democrats for you. It's a bunch of jackasses. Just stubborn. All right, so that's not a popular statement in Hollywood. What? Jackass? Democrats? A- anything yeah. about yeah. the Democrats that is short of... Mule salad? All, all of the above. Uh-huh. So what, what's Hollywood's politics like from the inside? I never really knew until I went to the White House huh. for Trump, so supporting a, a policy that I believed in that's letting out 91% of the men that's getting out of federal prison for first-time offenses look like me. Hmm. So when Meek Mill didn't want to go because Jay-Z told him not to go, and I understand that, you don't want to mess with his paper. Well, you'd already mess with my paper, so I had to figure out how to make paper on my own, right? Literally. Well, it's not like the Federal Reserve. Yeah, but yeah. Not literally. Yeah, I had to figure out how to survive without you. Huh. And I've done that for 12 years. And I always say that I, 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 up to that point, I was 12 years a slave. So you thought. Hmm. And then I happened, ironically, to be freed on a tweet from April Fool's Day that I, as a tweet of irony, mm-hmm. saying, look at this. I'm being blown away with this man getting off this teleprompter and helping these returning citizens, letting them out of federal prison. Mm-hmm. Now, we got a man that's sitting here working for Anchorage, named the first orange man, supposedly, Bonner, sitting at the the biggest cannabis company in the world, or it's not in the country, selling weed. And here I am being ostracized and excoriated for supporting a policy that's freeing out people that look like me that was caught selling weed. So I made a tweet saying, isn't it funny that I was talking to this guy named 44, Obama talking about nothing but the black agenda, nothing about Africa, what did we promise? But here I am watching this man who's supposed to be a racist Freeing people, poor people. So that was a big issue for you. That was a big sort of yeah. eye-opening still thing is. with crim- criminal justice reform. It still is. And I'm, I'm really disturbed 
Because the left has tricked these useful idiots yeah. to the mm-hmm. point to turn the First Step Act into not a non sequitur, but like it never made history. It was never all that fighting that everybody had to get behind in a bipartisan right. way. Now we, now we, you, you forced this man to create a 10-year prison thing for tearing down monuments. So now you're going to take these same people that look like me, most of them not really from here, but still the, the objects of you taking these people and now putting them back in federal prison? That doesn't seem like an accident to me. Well, and you know, look, the Democrats, they had eight years of the White House under Bill Clinton. They had eight years of the White House under Barack Obama. They didn't pass criminal justice reform. Hmm. They, didn't, they didn't do anything. And, and First Step Act, I was a big supporter of it. That's right, I know. I, I was in the Oval Office when the president signed it. I, I, know. I know. And and my view, you know, I've been involved in criminal justice a long time. I, I see a big difference between violent offenders and nonviolent offenders. Oh, what we call survival crimes. Yeah, look, yeah. if you've got a, a young African-American, young Hispanic who, who gets busted for possession of marijuana and serves a long prison term, that can really be unjust. And, yes. and that's a very different crime than someone who's murdered someone, that's someone right. who's raped someone. That's you right. commit violent crime. The whole purpose of law enforcement right. is to stop violent criminals and keep people safe. But mm-hmm. I think the First Step Act took a very important step to saying if it's a nonviolent mm-hmm. crime, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some 18, 19 year old kid who made a mistake, this may have seemed like the only way out. And, and it was a mistake, but, you, but ruining the, the kid's whole life is, is not the right step. And, and it, was, it was remarkable that, that Donald Trump championed that and that we got it done as a, a bipartisan matter. Democrats talked about it forever, but never did anything on it. You're absolutely right. You know, um, I probably committed more felonies in the military than I've ever done in my private life. Really? I made my private about first $950,000 selling weed in the military, in the Philippines, some of the top biggest officers in, in, in the thing. But I had to do it because if you didn't, you could get fragged, literally killed in the Philippines, Clark Air Base at this time. This is the truth. So it was so bad. I went, out, I went so deep to survive that my commanding officer brought me into, I talk about this on my podcast, so there's no statute of limitations. Yeah, and no, yeah. I don't know where the bag of money that I buried in the Philippines is, so don't ask me. Shit. Don't. <laughs> But I had to do it because I wanted to live. So I understand how corruptions work on both sides. We were busy listening to the stars and stripes every day. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. But yet I'm doing these things with other people that have all this metal on their shoulders. And we're all going, shh. Like the money that we're getting paid by the taxpayers, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And it didn't stop this behavior of corruption. And it was at 19, I was a part of it, too, at the highest level. Well, you know, corruption can be a, a, a big issue. It can be a big eye yeah. opener. One thing we talk a lot about yeah. on, on the show is the kind of diversity of thought on the right among conservatives. So, so we've gotten your kind of acting and professional yeah. evolution. Yeah. But did, did you have a political evolution? It would seem at one point you would have said you were on the left and then you were on the right. Or maybe not. Maybe I have that wrong. Well, my acting, like I was saying, started at 19. I had to act like I was a a decent human being as a, as an airman, we all had to act like we were professionals. Now imagine I'm 19, but I can't go off the base and drink alcohol because I'm not 21. When I got right. back to Holloman Air Force Space, my point is the goal to this, that I saw so much 
things, so many things that didn't add up coming as a little country boy out of yeah. Houston, where you go to church, there was white and there was black. There was no gray. There was no in between. My point of bringing that up is, is that people have to do what they have to do if they didn't have the opportunity to do what they were supposed to do. Hmm. And what I mean by that, I didn't get the scholarships to the, to the, the colleges I wanted to go to because there was corruption in my high school, Hollow Willow Ridge High School. The coach decided he was going to get a kickback to try to send me to a smaller program. So that was the first scandal. So I've been a part of scandals mm. since I can remember. I've been part of dealing with things where you go, shh. And I've never really been political until I decided, well, who was in power? Well, Reagan was in office. So Reagan is our boss. I didn't get to vote. So whatever Reagan says, Reagan, we have to do. To the point when I finally got in the middle, in Ellenborough, I'm like, why are we sending F5s to Central America? Why are we sending live ordinance in Thailand? Only to find out that we were doing things we weren't supposed to do with taxpayers' money. Why are we dropping bombs in Vietnam? Oh, well, somebody wanted to clear out all the landmines. Well, who, for what? Not a wartime situation. It's a lot of money. Shut up, Airman. Now I find out, oh, well, there's a big resort being built in that now area. You were active duty for how long? Four years. And that's Four why years. I got out. So I, by politics, I became political by seeing right, that right. I'm working for corporations. I'm not working for you or you. Yep. I'm not working for the people. And I found out out of from 19 to 21. I want nothing to do with this. And mm-hmm. then I, I, bought, I jump in the private sector. Reagan needs to get a bump. People die. So it just seems like I've always been reminded of people that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but they make it look like it's really cool. Mm-hmm. This is the mm-hmm. right thing to do. And it's really great. Tell us about the, the walk away movement and, and what, what that means to you. Well... <laughs> A friend of mine uh, who's a Sierra Leonean who went to me, went, went to Sierra Leone when I got my dual citizenship and I wanted to see how I could help the most stigmatized country in West Africa that couldn't get any help, talked to all the senators, Senator Obama at the time, about how we could remove the stigma of this country. She, I didn't like how I was treated in the press again to bring up this toxic narrative that wasn't accurate in the first place of my exit of this show, the medical show, right? Mm-hmm. So at this point, I actually got angry. After I was a good guy, like, okay, uh, I should have said what I said to go to Glows. I've been drinking. I told the truth, but it wasn't a good place to say that. Yeah. Okay? You don't, you don't say the word that everybody's accusing you of saying. Mm-hmm. It wasn't not a good idea. But I told the truth. I'm not a liar. It was the truth. So this comes back up again. And I'm, again, I'm not doing anything wrong. I decide I'm going to walk away. So she said, you need to join the walk away. I didn't know what it was. I just thought mm-hmm. it was a good term. Yeah. Yeah. So everything I was tweeting that I was pissed off about, and remind the people of my good works. I use hashtag walk away so much that it got Brandon Strzok's attention. It's like, dude, that's my brand. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you with me? Are you against me? Like, what's going on? So he hit me. I'm like, who are you? Oh, I'm Brandon Strzok. Oh, Strzoka? Yeah, Strzoka. Yeah, yeah. He says, no, Strzok. So we got together, got on Varney and Company. We linked up. I supported him and used my platform. And then I started tweeting like crazy. Started tweeting like crazy. And it started driving the Democrats crazy. Everybody attacked me. April Ryan, everybody. Mm. Roland Martin, I crushed them. Everybody that came to me, Lamar, Mark Lamar Hill, I crushed them. Because anybody <laughs> know me on Twitter, I get very blue. Yeah, I'm not scared. I will cuss you out in some of the most extraordinarily creative ways on Twitter. I'm highly documented. <laughs> very entertaining. Well, and they all block me. This this is something about Hollywood. As and Senator, you've spent a lot of time in Hollywood. I mean, it's kind of like an unknown fact of uh, politics that a, a lot of Hollywood conservatives have supported you for years, and and you've known them. And 
the thing about Hollywood is they're very big characters, very eccentric personalities out here. And yet, so it's so weird to me that you got this whole fun place with such wild characters and personalities. And yet when it comes to politics, they're all exactly the same. They're all identical ideology. And if you disagree with that, you get kicked out. I found out why. Why? I was talking to a person. We remain nameless. But I was at an event and he asked me, man, what are you doing? You're hurting me. And I said, what are you talking about? You're killing me. You're on the wrong team. He says, if I don't get this mayor reelected, if, the, if, if we can't get Trump out of here, I'm going to lose my access to the bag. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, man, I got great opportunities. I got kids, man. I want to build my foundational wealth. And these people will let me know where all the residential places are. I can get all the inside information on how, what I can invest in. If I lose them, I don't know anybody in the conservative parties. I don't know any Republicans. They don't like me. I don't have a relationship with them. It has nothing to do with politics. These people in Hollywood are fighting for their greed. So you're saying it's, it's an establishment, it's, it's a personal interest kind of thing. I mean, you see this, we, we talked about this with China, right? The relationship <sighs> between Hollywood and China. And, really? And as you know, Hollywood is terrified to piss off China. They've been broke since 2008. Yes, China has paid for anything. I, I, there's a man named uh, John Lasseter. Yeah. Used to, I think he still run Will Smith's company. Yeah. I got invited to a special little meeting. I felt like I got the little cans where you can hear the, understand the Mandarin. I felt like I was at the UN. So uh, somehow, I don't know why they invited me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the big tattletale. And, and like, I'm the wrong guy. I know. You show up on podcasts and talk about it. Right. right? So I'm there. John Lasser is arrogant and other people are arrogant. And the Chinese are sitting there talking about the different levels of copyrights. Like there's 24 levels of copyright. Like if you try to sue them on one, it's like, no, you can't because there's two. I learned so much from these Chinese, and all they were asking in a special meeting with SAG after was, give us some respect. Mm. You didn't respect mm. Jet Li enough, mm. and you, know, you didn't make him a star. Yeah. Just take one of our Chinese people and just actors and make them a huge star, like Tom Cruise, like, like Meryl Streep. And they fell asleep. The guy fell asleep on the stage. Yeah, I said it, John. I saw you do it. He fell asleep arrogantly. He fell asleep on mm. the stage in front of the Chinese that's paying his bills. Mm. All of them, each one of the major executives, they fell asleep like they had no care. They, they played the game like, yeah, we're broke. Well, Hollywood is paying the bill. I mean, China, rather, is paying the bills for Hollywood. But it seems that there's a, a political dimension of this as well. It's not just that they're infiltrating Top Gun or something. There, there's an agenda here on the international level. So, as you know, I just got sanctioned. That's by a heavy China. word, man. But by the communist government of China, they announced that I am banned from China. Why? Uh, because I don't like communists. And I criticize them and call them out. The communist government of China, they're murderers, they're torturers. They've got one million Uyghurs in know, concentration camps it. right now. Yeah. They're censoring. And, and by the way, among other things, their censorship helped create the coronavirus pandemic because you had Chinese what did physicians. You just say? They censored. Did you say that the virus is from China? It is from Wuhan, <laughs> You're not China. To say that, and uh, the Chinese government is responsible. Did you just say they? Cr this is a pandemic. That this this is an well, economic, you know, this is an economic far, you know. hit. Did you just say China attacked us? Do you know that, that's that's that, like, that's that when the whistleblowers, Chinese doctors, in December of last year, said, "Hey, we got an outbreak here. This is a problem," the Chinese government arrested them and said, "You cannot." Any responsible government would step in, send health professionals, quarantine the people. 
And, and this, this may well have been stopped as a regional outbreak and all of the death, all of the economic shutdown, all of the misery could have been stopped, but the Chinese government didn't do that. And I've been calling them out. And so you ask why, why they sanctioned me. One of the reasons they sanctioned me is in October, I flew to Taiwan and I flew to Hong Kong and I met with the protesters in Hong Kong. They don't like Two that. million people in the streets. I did one of the Sunday shows dressed in all black in solidarity with the protesters. What are you asking for? Oh, you better. Be- Look, my, my dad this, was this imprisoned and you know, tortured. You, you, wait a minute. I got chill bumps. Man. Hey, where's <laughs> my bag? You're going to get us all. You're going to get us all. Hey, man, did y'all, do, did y'all check this room? Uh, no, we, 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 <laughs> Look, I, I'm real simple. I don't like communists. I get you. I, I don't yeah. like. It doesn't work. And, you know, my dad was imprisoned and tortured by you know, Batista little, in Cuba. My you know aunt, my Thea Sonia was in prison and tortured by Fidel Castro. You know about it. And so when it comes to standing up to communists, I'm eager to do so. And I got to tell you, Hollywood is scared to do so. They're not scared. They just don't have a personal interest to, to protect anyone who's not part of the club. It's hmm. about building their foundational wealth. It's about, like, purge. What Ethan Hawke did to the character, the one black hmm. character that tried to help his dog at. He says, oh, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to help save you. And they still stabbed him, almost tried to kill him in the movie. It's just... You know, a thankless job. Do you think amid all of this, there's any hope that hope? Holly- <laughs> well, Hollywood? You're right. I guess it was a crazy premise to begin with. Huh. You don't think there's any way that Hollywood's going to break apart from the leftist consensus that they enforce? I wanted you to explain this HR 748, how that became one thing, became the CARE Act. But that's another one. I know like one minute was this. A lot of people hitting me like, wait a minute, this was done. And before he shut down, you know, blah, blah, blah. why is this the bill this way? But my thing is, no. No, it, it's not about that. It's about distraction. Huh. No one's asking the right questions. Where, why would Bob Iger step down? Why? Hmm. You got to, why can you not open up a, a, a nation as large as California? Makes all this money <clears throat> driving cars. Why are you going to lose all this money when you are a, a state that has produces 33% of all of the wealth into this nation? Just... Just put up the wall and just say you want us to see. Hmm. Just, just be. I would, you know, I would respect the Democrats and Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris. If you say you want to kill us, you want to like really hurt veterans and bring in illegal immigrants. You don't want to close your borders. Just, just tell us you want us to see. Just stop playing at this thing. Don't hurt innocent people. Let's just get it on. Well, so, uh, Isaiah, I'm, I'll make a prediction right now. Please do. Which is if Joe Biden wins, God forbid, I, 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 don't, I don't want him to win. But if he wins, I know what's going to happen. The day after he wins, they'll declare everything's better. They'll open up the schools. They'll <laughs> right, open right. up the economy. Suddenly they'll say everyone go back to work. And you're seeing so many people in politics and the media that just hate the president. Yeah, that's and all they want everything shut down. They want every school. They want every business. They want everything shut down right until Election Day because they think it'll change the outcome. And if they were to happen, I can sit here and safely tell you that there are six million people that will be very, very happy to see Biden try to go into the White House. You will have a civil war and it will be over within six months. Guaranteed. How do I know? I know. And the one thing we know, know. too, is unfor- unfortunately, so that's we, not could, happen. we could go on. We could go on for hours. But unfortunately, uh, the one thing we do know pertaining to Hollywood is the revolution will be televised or maybe it will be live streamed. Uh, I should mention too, Isaiah, before before we head out, 
you have a show on Fox Nation. Yeah. You've got Kitchen Talk on Fox Nation, yeah. which you've got to check out with Isaiah Washington. Yeah. And the next time, well, hopefully California does not secede before we can get the senator back out here. Uh, and we'll have to continue the conversation next time. I am Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.